As we record this, uh, my kids all started back to school, which uh, depending on who you ask, good, other people, bad, you know, whatever. But in any case, leading up to this, of course, you get a bunch of emails from the school about, you know, different things that are happening. Well, my youngest, who's in elementary school, we get the email from the elementary school. Well, so we have uh, Power Mondays. So on Mondays, we start late. And then there are 17 days where they get out 113 minutes early. That's oddly specific. 113 minutes. How would I even figure out when that is? First off, what's 113 minutes? And so finally, after like a whiteboard and a chat GPT assistance, I figure out that it's two o'clock. And so I'm like, just say that they're getting out at two. Don't tell me 113 minutes early. And then there's a random amount of days of Tuesdays and Wednesdays that they get out 45 minutes late. I'm going to have to work with our AI design studio partner to figure out when I'm supposed to pick my kids up from school. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 343. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Today, Reed, I'm going to start the podcast about uh, 47 <laughs> minutes later yeah. than normal. Yeah, They are basically running on our schedule. Start at random times, end at random times, never do it the same way twice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I feel like our my kid's school system has, you know, taking my lead from how we run this podcast. But. <laughs> Anyway, um, well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another week of Touchpoint. I certainly appreciate the support. I think we've got a really cool topic today, um, which I could immediately start talking about, and I'm going to refrain from doing so, but talking a little bit about smart hospitals. And so before we get into that, though, touchpoint.health is the website touchpoint.health is where you can go to learn more about this show chris or myself other topics we've covered etc but while you're there do sign up for the tps report the tps report name email address that's all we ask and that affords you an email every monday morning with five articles to start your week so a little value add for you the listener we hope it's valuable so we'll pause here let you go do that and then be back with today's show Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I too am excited about today's topic, Reed, and I do want to talk about smart hospitals and all of that because I know that that's like kind of a new upcoming thing. But before we get there, uh, I thought that maybe we could kind of bring back the, the conversation a little bit because you and I have talked about digital experiences and building the great digital patient experiences. But a lot of times when we've talked about it, it's been things that have happened you know, online, like using websites and portals and yeah. emails and all that other fun stuff. But as you know, digital is kind of getting into every part of everybody's experience. And when we look at the customer journey today, we want to focus in on that digital patient experience that occurs when those patients are in our facilities, namely at the bedside. That's what today we're going to dive into. Not only are we going to talk about the digital solutions at the bedside, but we're also going to go into smart rooms. And and we have a great interview that's coming up a little bit later with uh, Jeff Fallon, who's the CEO of eVideon, about hospital smart rooms and some of the way his technology is being used in these places. So let's take a step back, though, first, before we jump into the smart room conversation. And let's talk about some examples of how hospitals are implementing digital while patients are at the bedside. Yeah, for sure. So there's almost an endless list. And so we'll, we'll hit on some and probably give some examples as we go that, that kind of roll up underneath some of these. But the first one on the list, and again, this is a big topic, but kind of telemedicine, virtual care, virtual health kind of bucket. We are at Ardent and, and a number of other people around the country are doing this, but you think about things like virtual nursing, right? So how do you bring care virtually into the inpatient environment or into the room, there's a number of reasons to do that. Obviously, there's the workforce piece of the equation, but also patient comfort and um, timeliness and some of those types of things. So if you think about just discharge even of itself, it may be time for you to leave, but you've got to wait till somebody can get to you. Well, you know, maybe this is a quicker way to get you discharged. Make sure you understand all the information you're going home with. Maybe it's intake, med rec, hourly rounding you know, that kind of stuff, but, but kind of that telemedicine and virtual care. So this is the, you know, Zoom call on the TV that's already in the room, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that you could do is, you know, you look at things like your patient portals, your lab results, all of those things is bringing that to the bedside as well. Now, arguably your patient portal is available like through a phone or computer or what have you, but a lot of organizations are implementing solutions where if you're in a hospital bed, you or your family members, if you're given the right of permission to, can access health records, the treatment plans, what test results, can even look to see what's potentially scheduled for them throughout the duration of their stay, right? So that gives them a little bit more of an ease around what to expect next, and it facilitates a lot of the patient engagement. Next thing, entertainment and education. Um, so this is where you get to watch Netflix like you do at the hotel. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. But no, but, but, but entertainment certainly on that, that in-room TV system. But in addition to that educational content, so you're starting to see things like virtual whiteboards or even out of the EHR where it's pulling information and kind of holding it up on the screen for you, right? Of who your nurse is, treatment plan, what's coming up next, you know, instructions, educational content, et cetera. 
this. So that's an interesting space. We'll see more and more of that, of just, you know, how do, how do we make things more accessible to the patient while they're there and maybe even reduce call lights and stuff like that because of it. Exactly. And, and a lot of that is we're going to talk about in our interview coming up here. But bedside tablets is another application of digital. It makes sense, right? When you're in a patient room, having a tablet at the bedside where you can communicate with your healthcare team. Forget about that nurse call button, right? You can have like a tablet where you could request things. You could order room service potentially or order someone to come in and clean the bathroom or whatever. Tablets also offer the opportunity to, to be multilingual. And yeah. also, you know, you cascade information in about the medications you're taking, uh, discharge instructions, as we talked about. There's a lot of applications of using a tablet at the bedside. Remote patient monitoring, sometimes maybe even just patient monitoring. I, I don't know. You know, you can kind of squabble over the word remote, I guess. But, you know, how do we equip the patient and the room to be monitored from someone somewhere else, right? So we've been doing this for years. You think about like telemetry in the ICU, you know, there's usually a bank of monitors somewhere where people are watching groups of patients, individuals or small groups of patients. Similar, right? And I mentioned virtual nursing a minute ago, but you know, we're using something called uh, the bio button from BioIntelligence. Well, it's a sticker that goes on you that takes vital signs over the course of your stay. Well, I don't have to be there to watch those vital signs, right? Like this could be a virtual nurse somewhere, again, taking kind of the task-based operations off the, off the in-person nursing, allowing them to do things that they really need to do because they're there. And so again, you know, the idea of, of patient monitoring and watching for deterioration and prioritization of who we reach out to and, and go check on and things like that. Being more proactive about, about some of that is, is kind of, I guess, the uh, value proposition there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Here's another one that goes way past the little nurse call button or even that little red button you push to you know drip more painkillers. Digital pain management and comfort tools. You could use digital solutions now to implement different types of pain management tools like relaxation apps, maybe you know some calm music, even looking at connecting to the the device that you just talked about, right? Managing your patients' symptoms, you could you could kind of work to help reduce anxiety or intervene promptly if needed using the sort of these digital pain management comfort tools. And a little bit kind of an extension of that is what they're calling virtual reality therapy. So again, same outcome, you know, how do you reduce stress? Uh, maybe, you know, give the patient some level of a, something to distract themselves with if it's they're anxious or it's a painful procedure or something like that, but using virtual reality to accomplish that. So I think that's kind of interesting. I'd be kind of curious where that goes. That opens up a lot of possibilities to, you know, uniquely be able to serve up an experience to a consumer, to a patient that uh, is specific to them. So that's kind of cool. Right. And then think about all of this packaged together to get to that automated service request. We talked about like order and room service and, you know, and, and uh, housekeeping and things like that. But also that don't forget the nurse's call button, right? Not only will you be able to reach out to say for nurse assistance, you could cascade information. And so you know what nurse is going to come through the door, even before they come through the door, get a bio of them, that sort of thing. So these are different ways, Reed, that we're seeing digital brought to the bedside to help with experience. But there's this whole nother avenue, a uh, new transformative avenue around smart rooms. 
and smart hospitals. Let's take a break. We come back. Let's talk a little bit about smart hospitals and what that potentially could look like. For those of you who may not have had, you know, hospital stay in a smart room, it's a completely different world. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So what does a smart hospital mean, look like, sound like? You know, where are we headed uh, with this? We found an article, patientengagementhit.com, uh, which is a pretty cool site. We, we pull some different articles for the TPS report occasionally from there and have used it on the show a time or two. And so article called Smart Hospitals Making the Future of Patient Experience a Reality. So smart rooms, Reed, to me, that, you know, makes me think of like you're building smart home technologies, having automated thermostats, voice devices and things like that. In a hospital room, it's it's all that and more, right? Because they basically integrate a variety of different things to create the seamless experience, uh, streamline clinical workflows. When you think about it, there's no one size fits all. It really depends on what how you want to configure this. But the whole point here is that you're developing easy ways to connect all the devices in your room, atmospheric temperature devices, you know, making your bed move certain ways, therapeutics in the in the in the space, whatever. These smart room hospitals are just amazing. When you think about it, and I know you're, you're implementing some at Ardent, right? Or you have some there at Ardent? Yeah, we are. And it's, you know, kind of this idea around the, the virtual nursing and, and virtual attending or virtual consults even on the clinician side. And so, yeah, I mean, the idea, it's not that we haven't done this historically. It's just been the patient has picked up their phone or used FaceTime or whatever, or, you know, it's, it's just how are we using technologies to your point and to the point of this article to make things more seamless and a better experience, right? So how do we bring other clinicians into the room that maybe you're not there, you know, et cetera? Yeah. And this article kind of highlights a number of hospitals that have done it. And they actually outline a couple of ways they actually do it. And they're all uniquely different and they're solving different purposes. But why we wanted to highlight this article, because it gives some direction. If you're going to be launching a hospital smart room or you're thinking about that, it's a huge investment. It can run, you know, tens of thousands of dollars if you do this the right way. Mm-hmm. It's also much more significant and profound if you're trying to transform existing hospitals to become smart rooms. Let's kind of go through a little of the, uh, I guess you would call the design framework around how do you start to design a smart room? And kind of along those lines, you alluded to it a little bit. It is expensive. And we are talking about technology, which is a commodity at some point right? Cameras and TVs and sensors and things like that will only get better, cheaper, do more, et cetera. And so this is an ongoing investment. Uh, I don't know if the article necessarily calls that out, but I think this is a commitment 
over a pretty long haul. And so the real equity here is in the people and process side of the equation because the technology will continue to change. And relative to people and process, the first thing they call out is the patient. You know, how do we make sure that they you know, continue to be the, the focal point of why we're doing this. You know, for us, for example, you know, the idea of being able to take clinicians like a neurologist, pulmonologist, cardiologist, something like that into a rural market allows us to keep a patient at that facility in their hometown and they're not having to be transferred to a big city in a different hospital. And you, you know what I mean? So there's, there's some things where it's like, okay, this is not just good for us and allows us to do something. It's actually good for the for the patient. You know, it's keeping them a community around their support system where they're comfortable, you know, that kind of thing, right? So it's like, you know, how, how do you not just try to solve your own problems but continue to think about this through that lens? And a big part of this, too, is really putting those patients at the center of the healthcare delivery part of this as well. Uh, patients want that personalized healthcare experience. When you start to introduce all this technology, if you do it the right way, you can foster better relationships with your doctors and your nurses. But mm-hmm. you know that's one of the things. There's a, a Council for Accountable Physician Practices, or CAP, found that the patient-provider interactions in the hospital are the single most important aspect of, of quality care. They're looking for that provider that listens to them, understands their needs, et cetera. When you start to introduce all this technology in the middle of it, you have to be very, very careful about using it in a way to enhance that patient-provider relationship, not distracting it from it, right? I totally get, like, if you're talking to a cardiologist that's 100 miles away through a video camera, that's great. But you don't want to implement it so that the nurse down the hall talks to the, the patient primarily through that. You want that nurse to still have that human interaction, so to speak. Yeah. Again, this is where, you know, the process side of the equation comes in of just like, how is this going to work? To the point that they're making here, you know, the first one being about the patient, the second one being about the the broader, you know, kind of care delivery. You know, those are questions we have to solve for. We're not getting more nurses. We're not getting more doctors. You know, so the ratios don't necessarily change. This is not... You know, virtual nursing is not a way that we can go, oh, man, I hope we can change, you know, staffing ratios. You know, no, that's not. I mean, we will hire every nurse that we can possibly find still, even with this. Right. So this this is an additive piece. You know, the last thing they kind of call out in here is the family, which I think is interesting. You know, I mentioned a second ago about, you know, this isn't terribly new. I mean, people have been you know, dialing in their loved ones or, you know, since FaceTime has been a thing or whatever, you know, they're bringing other people into the room. They're maybe part of their care team or something like that. And so this helps enable that. I think, you know, smart rooms are great for the patient, but they're also there for the, the family and those other caregivers as part of the kind of that broader network. So uh, it's a way for them to you know, oh, shoot, the doctor's already come and gone kind of thing. Well, you know, you can kind of better connect and quite honestly, you know, be a part of that journey, uh, regardless of where you are, you know, it doesn't matter what your work schedule is, you know, if you can't get there right at that time, for example. Right. And, and when you show up, you can also understand, let's say, you know, you're showing up to, to visit someone, you, you, you can use these technologies in the smart room to actually access and see, you know, who's already come and rounded on, on you know, that patient, uh, be it a family member or what have you. So again, smart room technology is significant and it's huge and profound and it impacts the provider relationship with the, with the patient. It impacts the technology used to make your 
your stay that much more efficient. And it impacts that relationship that the family and the caregivers have around that. And all of these are used and designed in a way to ultimately enhance that patient experience. And I love your point, Reed, about it's like, it's not one and done. You open up a smart room today, two years from now, that smart room could be significantly different. And I think as more and more organizations start to embrace this, uh, you know, you'll see the evolution of the smart room technology and everything kind of grow. I mean, who's still using their original iPhone? (laughs) I know, exactly. Same, Same deal, right? Anybody still using a BlackBerry, you know, so... The technology evolves, and I think the equity here is really in the people and the process piece. So. 100%. 100%. So with that, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I sat down with Jeff Fallon of Evideon. He's shared with us some of his experience that he's done working with hospitals around building out uh, digital patient engagement strategies in the bedside and hospital smart rooms. We even got into the expectations of a patient coming into a smart room and even a care provider working within a hospital smart room and how that differs a little bit than if they were going to a normal care setting. And so it was a really interesting conversation. Let's give that a listen. And then you and I will be back to close out the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I'm delighted to have someone new to our show, and that's Jeff Fallon from Evideon. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Great to be with you today. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you and your audience. Well, I'm excited for today's conversation. I think it's going to be really interesting to our audience. But before we dive into the topic at hand, I always like to have our guests, particularly new ones, give them an opportunity to share a little bit about their background, uh, where they came from, and what they're doing now. So would you mind uh, giving us a brief bio? Yeah, happy to. So I'm presently the uh, chairman and CEO of a company called Evidian out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're the company that, um, a software engineering company who creates a platform that we call Vibe Health. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. It's a smart hospital room platform, um, kind of cutting edge stuff for nurses and care teams in the, in the patient room and for the patient too. Uh, I came here about four years ago after 20 years in the med device pharma business, working with hospitals and, and in 2011 moved over to this this patient engagement smart room technology space and had the opportunity to lead a couple of really cool startups in this um, space. So this is the third. And in terms of um, what's ahead in the future, I'm just excited about our work with the hospitals and the innovation at hand today that's really, really live yet, yet futuristic. And I think the time has come for nurses particularly to have the benefit of technology that actually saves work for them, gives them some satisfaction and some flexibility and some new efficiency in their jobs. Well, I think it's the big promise of technology in this space, right? We always talk about technology as being something that uh, is designed to help make our lives and our jobs much more easier. And uh, it's a two-pronged approach, right? One for our lives being those patients that we serve and all the people that are in the 
healthcare setting, but also those people that serve those people that are being served within our space. So I think that this, this whole concept of experience and um, experience management and bringing it to the bedside is an interesting one for us to talk about. I love this terminology or the, the concept of a smart room. Many of us may be familiar with what that is, and I know I myself even have a smart home, but maybe we could start by you sharing a little bit about this concept of a smart room, and then we'll pivot that into the conversation around uh, how we could start to implement solutions to help that. So what is a smart room? Yeah, good question. I actually heard somebody describe it recently, this idea as the room actually becoming part of the care team, not just this box that care happens in where they bring other technology in, life-saving technologies like infusion pumps and um, EKGs and, you know, um, just these amazing life-saving technologies that really touch patients in a very most intimate of ways. Yet the room itself and the interface for that patient with that room, kind of unlike so many other businesses who have been transformed forever by technology, the, the patient room itself has not been in terms of the experience for the patient or the, the team that's working in that room um, necessarily been transformed by that technology. So I, I like that idea of it becoming part of the care team. And so our concept of a smart room is, just kind of begins with the idea that um, an interface for the patient and the care team has to be better than this 1970s technology called a nurse call button. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's most high tech version generally in hospitals today, that nurse call button is on the pillow speaker. And hopefully it's a digital pillow speaker that does a little bit more than just a, a nurse call. Maybe it changes channels and volume on the TV up, 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 down, 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 not highly sophisticated in terms of technology like we experience it today in our personal lives. But we we want to make um, the room and the devices around that patient in the room, whether it's a TV on the wall or a tablet at the bedside, more knowledgeable about the patient for the care team, just instantaneously to have the right information at the right place at the right time, but also to inform the patient about what's going on. So that's what makes it smart. Instead of being a, you know, a dumb TV, the TV knows everything about the patient and it prompts them to do things related to their care. So it demystifies what's happening and prepares them for what's next and prepares them for life after that hospital experience. So I think you can begin to see this, this picture of um, a more informed patient and a even better informed and more efficient care team because of interfaces in the room that are presenting the right information. Like, you know, of course the electronic medical record has a boatload of information, really important information, but the, the nurse is generally going to walk out to the, the nurse's station to look at it or drag a workstation on wheels into the room and inter, interface with that. You know, not everything needs that kind of interface with an electronic medical record. Sometimes it's just a bit of information that the nurse needs to know at that particular moment in time. And we can present that to them and make it a lot more efficient. So and I think there's two aspects of this, right? One is the experience of those patients or family members within the room. And then there's one on the providers, the nurses and other providers that may be interfacing with this. In my last hospital stay that I that I had, the, the, there was a little bit more advancement around the nurse call button, but it really wasn't to this level. Um, and I always kept thinking and kind of relating it back to, you know, when I sit at home and watch television, I usually have an iPad in front of me or even my phone or maybe sometimes even both, you know, three screens sometimes. That's kind of the expectation now that many of the patients and family members have when they come into a room to, to be surrounded with 
technology that can enable and answer those questions. What you're describing is something a little bit more uh, cohesive of an experience, right? The idea that an inpatient hospital room will somehow escape the transformation by technology um, that every other industry has been completely turned around by. And I'd say that this disruption by technology isn't, you know, depending upon where you actually touch the industry that's been disrupted, it could be perceived as a good or a bad thing. But I think that it's kind of inarguable that in the long run for the consumer of whatever the service um, might be, whether it's banking or airplanes, you know, or oil changes, whatever the case may be, the ability to have technology give you more information real time that's personalized for you based upon exactly what's happening, whether you're boarding a flight or getting an oil change as I said, or having a, you know, a knee replacement, the expectation for people today to have at least information about what's happening and why and what's next, if not some control, um, at least influence on that is just, it's not going the other way. The expectations are high. You know, fortunately, the hurdle is pretty low in healthcare, just for all the amazing medical innovations that have saved countless lives and improved human health uh, immeasurably in even just our lifetimes. You know, the experience itself in terms of what do I know about what's happening to me and why and what's happening next? And even who are, who are these people doing it to me? Like these, the number of individuals that walk in and out of a patient room on, a, on a, any given day can make the head spin of a patient who's in that bed. And they'd like to know, they'd like to feel confident and comfortable that they know the people that are coming and going and who they are and why they're there. And then like, so we've got the ability through you know the Vibe Health platform to integrate to electronic medical records and staffing systems and badging systems. And, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on of the, the IT systems that hospitals use to do things better. We can integrate to those things so that, for example, a nurse walks into the room and his name and his picture and his role pops up on the TV screen while the patient's watching Price is Right uh, or relaxing to some, you know, soothing sounds and a, and a gentle uh, kind of babbling brook or something like that on the TV screen. We can just let the patient know who are these people that are coming and going and we can log it for the patient so that the whiteboard shows when I go visit my mom in the hospital and at 89 years old, she's been sleeping a lot of the time and maybe doesn't remember who's been in to care for her. And she says that, Hey, nobody's been in to see me today. I can actually look at the whiteboard and say, well, gosh, mom, I see that Dr. Smith and, and nurse Jones have been in, in the last hour. You must've been sleeping. Here's what the list of all the people that are coming and going and caring for you. So it does a great deal to let the patient know exactly what's happening. Not to mention automating the delivery of short videos specific to that patient's diagnosis or their discharge plan so that they just better understand what's happening with the risks of swelling for my new knee. What should I be watching out for? And, and the hospital has a vested interest in that patient understanding as well. Like it's on, they're on the hook to educate these people before they're discharged and the staff is spread pretty thin. So educating them um, intensely and repeatedly is probably not a you know consistent standard you know being met across the board. So we've got the ability through this automation of these short videos and integration to the electronic medical record to do this automatically to to educate patients 
automatically to document completion and comprehension to the electronic medical record and saves the staff a boatload of time. And look, not everybody's reachable through these technology solutions, such as I described. So if they can't be reached through this, if they're ignoring these prompts, then the staff is still ahead because now they know who's not been reached. They know who's been reached, who's completed it, who, who understood or didn't. And, and now rather than being responsible for educating everybody face-to-face, they have a target list of who wasn't reached, who didn't get it, and, and they can go prioritize those for their face-to-face education. It's a kind of a good you know, lowest common denominator example of things that the technology can do, Chris. Reed and I just had an episode that we talked about patient access. And one of the conclusions that came out of it, patient access, we use that term a lot. We use a lot of terms in healthcare. I think the biggest challenge is it's not, it's not just access, it's the understanding. And I could see a tremendous benefit of this also being a way, really, to bring that understanding of that entire care experience in a manageable delivered to you kind of way, the added bonus of being able to be have that tracked for compliance purposes or for whatever purposes, it sounds to me like, you know, this really speaks to the promise of all of the things of what a smart room could potentially do, right, in, in a health setting. I could imagine, too, that the providers are really appreciative of this because it seems like there's a cost efficiency here or a, a resource efficiency at play here as well, right? Yeah, it certainly can deliver efficiency the, to the nursing team by, you know, removing manual tasks like I described, but also things like if the if the patient needs something in the bed that's a non-clinical need, let's say the room's too cold or it's dirty or there's a quiet at night problem, instead of hitting the nurse call button, bothering the nurse, the patients don't want to bother the nurse. They're really reluctant to do this. They can request a blanket or um, adjust the lights or temperature in the room without bothering the nurse. And that either we're interfacing with the room control system so that they can directly control the temperature or lighting themselves or the blinds, for example, or they can alert the environmental services department or dietary staff or clergy or, or whom, whatever the case may be. We can send that message to that staff, that non-clinical team member, so that they can be alerted and takes this non-clinical task load down dramatically for the nurse, which is, uh, you know, obviously a tremendous efficiency and satisfier for them. But I'd say for all the cool things I've described, like on the smart TV on the wall, that's certainly futuristic by most hospital standards today. we're, We're probably most excited about what we've done to modernize the dry erase whiteboard, this really important quality tool um, that should be filled out by hand for optimal effectiveness. But we all know if you've been in a hospital room enough times, it doesn't take many times to realize that they were generally not completely filled out and they're generally out of date pretty quickly after somebody's filled them out. So what we'll do is use another smart display there, integrate that to the electronic medical record and the other IT systems of the hospital so that this mission critical information is presented in real time in the room for that particular um, patient. So as I said earlier, where the the nurse might need to drag a workstation on wheels into the room to get informatics um, that are necessary for that, to understand what's happening for that patient at that particular time. But many of these key pieces of information can be presented on the digital whiteboard in real time and saving that nurse many steps, saving that nurse many minutes 
in manually filling out these important quality tools that are that are on the wall. So a digital whiteboard is has become a really critical tool for the clinical staff efficiency. And then, then the, I guess the last thing I'll say about that really important endpoint is, you know, if it's out of date on some informatics, there is a huge risk for the uh, staff. So if somebody mistakenly for, for you know forgets a to erase a do not resuscitate a DNR listed on the whiteboard when the room is turned over, leaving that DNR incorrectly up on the whiteboard could cause an obviously huge risk for for the hospital. If we can present that information only from the source of truth, only directly to that particular patient room and that exact patient and, and trust that integration to be right by the moment, then we can trust that information on the board as well and then act upon it appropriately. I mean, this really speaks to the, the promise of smart rooms, but I think there are a lot of challenges that health systems kind of face. When you're describing this, I think about the complexity of like tying together all these systems on the back end. I, I've worked in health systems. I know that you know there's there's many different siloed technologies and operations that that sometimes don't connect together in the right ways, right? And so, is that the primary reason why like adoption of smart room technology is so lagging in our industry? I mean, you would think that, it, that it's everywhere, but it really isn't. There's a couple of challenges. First, if you're building a new hospital tower or recreating um, a new wing, like a modernizer wing. It's kind of like if you were remodeling your house, Chris, <laughs> and, and for, for example, like if you are building a new house today, you're certainly not, I hope, going to pull coaxial cable, the fat kind of quarter inch-ish black cable through your walls and hook up a cable box um, behind your TV. Um, and then pay the cable company that $300 a month kind of bill. It's just, you wouldn't do that. You'd use ethernet, you'd use wi- Wi-Fi technology, and you'd use um, smart TVs with um, internet protocol television or IPTV and streaming TVs, some folks would call that. So hospitals are doing the same thing. So for an, a new hospital being built today, it's hard for me to imagine hospitals being built without this technology as a, a cornerstone of their strategy. So we've We've just um, begun working with um, a world-renowned hospital up in Boston. Our Vibe Health platform is a cornerstone of their innovation, engagement for staff and patients strategy in this new hospital, which is, again, incredibly important. So every new hospital being built today will be built with this kind of technology in the room. Um, They will use Ethernet. It will be well-wired with um, uh, internet protocol kind of stuff. There are challenges to answer your question. There are challenges with that. If you have a, a concrete block structure hospital and solid cement <clears throat> ceilings, it's difficult to modernize that to ethernet technology, but that's not the only problem you've got with a kind of hundred year old hospital. There are many you know, technological challenges to be solved and, and this is simply one of them. And so we're not the only kind of innovation that a hospital of that um, type is going to wrestle with. It doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic. I I am. I am empathetic to it. And I think there are, you know, hopefully uh, the Wi-Fi technology and bandwidth for inside the hospital uh, Wi-Fi will get to the point where that kind of, you know, elimination of the Ethernet needing to be pulled around the hospital is even, you know, a thing of the past. We're just not there yet. And I'll just say that if you've got concrete 
ceilings and floors and cinder block walls, you're going to have a hard problem with um, Wi-Fi um, yeah. until they've done something that, that isn't available today. So infrastructure is part of it. Of course, the financial realities of hospitals today is front page news, um, certainly if you're in our business or, or your business. So that's not um, insignificant as well. But I do believe that it's really not optional to just behave as if patient expectations are not going to leave you behind if you if you choose to ignore the reality that you need an interface. And the interface for your inpatient room can't just be your ambulatory electronic medical record. Like engagement isn't just information. Engagement isn't just, here's your lab results. It isn't just, here's how to schedule your next year appointment or pay your bill. That's not engagement. Like that's, that's a good start. It's a great start. Um, just like an electronic medical record, as important as it is, <clears throat> that's not efficiency. Like that's a, that's a database that created work for the clinical teams and work that needed to be done. And thank goodness we funded it as a, as a country and made it a priority. I think it was really, really important, but I liken it to like data plumbing underneath the kitchen counter. Now it's time to plug in really important, useful appliances on top of the counter. And so, that, you know, this is an example. I would also assume though, that there are that organizations um, also struggle uh, slightly with the fact that it changes their workflow. What we're talking about is it's one thing the nurses were very, I remember in the hospital stay, right? The nurses, they came right to the room. They went to the, the physical whiteboard. They, they put their name up. They did all this other stuff. Now to move that to a digital space, that is something that is a kind of a workflow change that occurs as well. What are you seeing when you work with organizations on adopting these types of solutions? Are 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 the people behind it? Are they excited about it? Yeah, they they really are. Um, now, of course, in in any technology transformation, um, there are folks around the spectrum from luddites that don't want to have anything to do with technology, and I, I know and love many of them. To <laughs> to others that. Jump way, you know, they're, they're the first to download an app and, and try to break it. Most people are kind of more in the middle of the spectrum, of course. I would say that technology that is lit up for the sake of technology only is uh, going to crash and burn. Um, if the clinical team who is ex supposedly the primary beneficiary of this new technology is not engaged in the selection, and then the optimization, the, the planning for how things will change through that technology, if they're not involved in that, uh, they'll crash and burn it. You know, I'm not going to say they're, I'm not going to indict them and say they'll do it deliberately, but, you know, they, they won't, they'll have nothing invested in that decision and, and it won't be on them when it, when it fails. So we really believe strongly that um, a clinical leader needs to be strongly behind this idea. If this is a technology project only, we're much less interested in it. We're much more excited about opportunities where it's a marriage between the technology team and the clinical leadership team who recognizes there it has to be a better way forward and technology will be a critical point, a, a critical tool in getting to better. And so, yeah, we, we actually employ a, a whole lot of experienced nurses who have been hospital bedside nurses who have you know worked in all different sites of care and done many innovation projects <clears throat> even before coming here. And those folks work very closely with our hospital clients 
early in the process, whether it's even before selecting us, we want, we want the hospital to know who we are and how we roll and how we expect to work with them and what's important to us to, to help us help them be successful. So these nurses are integral to the process of just sort of getting to know one another before we even contract with the hospital. And then once the, the hospital's contract is signed, then that's when the work really begins. The interfaces and the integrations and the, well, what is the, among the ocean of things that we can do on this technology, what are the specific things that you want to tackle first? We can't turn on everything. So we work with the nursing team particularly and the nursing leadership team and the patient experience team to understand their vision and pain points and figure out what can we turn on, design and implement on this platform to help them solve a problem. We get that knocked down, make it operational, light it up, analyze it and, and report on the results of it, and then move on to their to their next dreams. I mean, that's like any good technology adoption. You want to you want to pick the small, most meaningful, most impactful business problem, business challenge, and begin solving that, and then slowly grow and expand, so to speak, right as you go. You know, I, I, I also noted if if you're creating an entirely new smart room for your patients, the nursing staff and support staff that are going to be there, they're going to expect that. They're going to say, oh, we're walking into kind of the state-of-the-art environment. But if you're retrofitting existing workflows, I think that makes a lot of sense to kind of go into it slow and steady and and slowly introduce the technology. Because in my experience, the biggest challenge for digital transformation is always acceptance and adoption by the people using it day to day. Getting the consumer behind it is is one thing, but getting the nurses and the, the, the providers behind it, that's the thing that's going to be very important and cognizant. And that's why in our space, we sometimes feel, it feels from outside you know, technology companies coming in that things can move slower than normal, but it's because we we want to be very cautious and careful with the new solutions that we're developing. It's interesting you point out, rightly, Chris, that a new hospital being lit up um, is probably going to have a dis- different kind of aperture for the the range of things and the number of innovations that they're going they aspire to light up right away, and we see that where. We're, we're involved in some amazing new hospitals of the future. I mentioned one um, up, up in Boston just earlier in our conversation, and there's, there's a couple more around the country that, um, boy, when you look at the, the, the range of the vision that they have and how uh, they're pushing us and, and we're pushing them and we're, we're leveraging things already built and things that we, we, you know, we have yet to build, but we you know, we knew we'd build them someday. I'm just, it's going to be so cool to see these new hospitals open up. And I think that while I've long felt that kind of, what is it, 12, 13 years I've been in the space, it's long felt like we're maybe one, two years away from increasing adoption of these technologies where you'd see them everywhere. I know that the time is coming where this kind of smart room technology will be as common at the bedside and on the and the inpatient wall as an infusion pump. Um, we're not there yet. It's not everywhere. It's not ubiquitous, probably because of the, the infrastructure issues we've talked about and the and the budget issues that we've talked about too. It's not an, a replacement market. Like if you need to replace your infusion pumps, you know what you spent on them last year, and you're going to re- repurpose that fund and move it to whatever infusion pumps you wanted next year. It's just not a replacement market. So that's reasonably well understood. But like the aspiration for innovation in a newly built hospital is incredible. And I think there's some amazing ones being built now that 
Um, and you know, with all due respect to those that have already come out, even in the last you know few years, they're doing tremendous things with smart room technologies. Some of them are ours, some of them are you know our competitors, and we're cheering for all of them. We think that, that the future is very bright, and it's going to be cool to be a patient and a nurse in these places that have invested in this um, in this idea, in this promise, and this expectation that really we all we you know we all have. I spent a lot of time on the the digital front door aspects of, of health system, right? That, you know, all the work you do online before you show up for your care experience, making that more seamless and easy, et cetera. Tying this concept of the digital online experience prior to care with that in-room experience care. And I think that that lends itself to this concept of digital is just pervasive now. It's it's all over the care experience. It's interesting how you've articulated that because we, we've thought about that as well for all the conversation about the digital front door and it in our our sense, I mean, there are things we are doing at the literal front door of the hospital and at the literal front door of that inpatient room. It seems that the conversation is is a bit literally focused on the front door in this front door um, kind of dialogue. But you rightly point out that the front door for your interaction doesn't necessarily mean the literal front door. It's wherever you're engaging with your care team. Like I was on the telephone with part of my care team earlier today. I was also on a website. I was on an application on my phone for you know various things going on with my own personal health. When you're in a hospital room, though you might be blocks from the front door, there is still a front door yeah. um, needing <laughs> attention. And so uh, I'll point out that um, one of the things that we saw through the pandemic was the realization of the need for engagement and information and interaction at a pandemic safe distance. And that pandemic safe distance you know, didn't have to be from one end of the country to the other. It could have been from one side of the door to the other. And so there was like an awakening that we saw uh, among hospitals for the urgency of smart room technology to be able to do things in the room, whether asynchronously or live time, but at a pandemic safe distance, which might be a couple of feet away and not gowned up with PPE, right? So the pandemic, I think, did um, a tremendous amount to advance innovation, obviously for telehealth, which kind of went through the roof, but it demonstrated the importance of so many um, technologies. One of the things that we're really excited about that we're doing right now is um, there's so many things that need to be brought into the hospital room from a distance through technology virtual translation, tele-nursing, virtual nursing, uh, virtual sitting. So many things need to be brought into that inpatient room. And every one of these things needs an interface for the staff or for the patient or for both. They might need a camera. They might need to push information to the patient or take information from the patient. And there's just not enough real estate or budget for any hospital in any particular hospital room to give real estate and, and budget to every one of those solutions they need to bring in. So we're, we're really excited about wiring up what we do to those kind of things. So we've, we were the first ones to do an integration. We demonstrated it at HIMSS 23 to Zoom. Uh, Zoom is one of the, obviously the largest kind of business use case of the video conference calling tools, but a lot of people don't know for all that largesse in the, in the consumer and business brand of Zoom, they also have solutions for hospitals and they're pretty excited about them and we're pretty excited about them. We've integrated to those to, 
to bring Zoom into the hospital room on our interface so that it's thoughtfully designed and doesn't, isn't this jarring experience moving from the Zoom interface to our interface. It's well integrated into what the patient is seeing and staff is seeing and, and not to just toot Zoom. So there's a bunch of really cool companies who've done great things. Caregility is another one. We've got a bunch of live clients with Caregility's interface, Avisure. Uh, collaborate. There's uh, the list goes on. I'm, I'm, it's remarkable how many of these virtual nursing applications are coming out, and we're thrilled to work with them. I think AI is another really promising area uh, for us to do things because we are the interface for the nurse and the care team and the non-clinical staff and the patient. And there's there's just data. There's wi- there's information flowing around there. And the use of AI, which is obviously kind of, I think, a bit hyped at the moment, but I do believe it's good. it'll be quite promising um, when it's a bit more deliverable. Um, it'll be a big part of what we're doing in the hospital room. Wow. I think that we'll have to have you on at a future date to talk a little bit about AI in the smart room as well, because that also is a very interesting topic for us to get into albeit a little scary if you think about it, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> hopefully that's where some of the hype is. Like I, I, Exactly. <laughs> I get, you know, cybernetics may be real someday or whatever, whatever that, um, that, that cyborg company was that took over the world um, in a movie far, far away. But <laughs> hopefully that we're, we're quite long distance and many generations away from that, if it ever even is possible. But I, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic. I know there's going to be ways to really, you know, just continue continue to use technology to make it better for the staff in the room and for the um, patient in the room. Jeff, this has been a really interesting conversation. And again, a uh, lot, lot more to talk about regarding this, but I'm so excited to have a chance to sit down with you and talk a little bit about the smart room and, and where, where you know how that's advancing into the healthcare space and really bringing that digital experience to that bedside. I think it's really fascinating. Before we get out of here, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and how people can learn more about Evideon and Five Health. Well, it's been a great conversation with you too. And again, I appreciate you having me here and the chance to chat with you and just share some of our thoughts um, with your community. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Send me a, send me a message on LinkedIn and you can find me Jeff Fallon um, on LinkedIn, obviously at Avidion and our website is avidion.com. Uh, heck, I make it pretty easy to find me. You can find my email address and my cell phone. It's remarkable how many people just pick up the phone and, and ring me or text me, you know, fire away. If you've got something interesting, I'm, I'm all the ears. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to put links to all of that in the show notes too. So uh, if you're listening in and you want to carry on the conversation, we'll have this LinkedIn and the website and all of that. Jeff, thanks again for uh, sharing your perspective, your insights. And uh, I'm going to think of you the next time I go into a hospital room and realize that there's some smart room technology going on there because it really is a, it's promising for a brave new world. Thanks, Chris. It's been great chatting with you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Special thanks to Jeff for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate his time. Always good to uh, have uh, new and interesting voices. Excited about this topic. I think it really is something that, again, regardless of what organization that you're in or what you're doing, you know, we'll find ourselves attached to this idea of creating smart facilities So uh, at some point. Um, again, TPS report, uh, jump over to touchpoint.health, sign up for that. Also in there, a couple of uh, links to upcoming conferences. If there are things we're missing or ideas you guys have or cool articles, people we should talk to, certainly reach out and let us know. But before we wrap up the show, uh, we hit on a couple of recommendations. Uh, Chris, what do, you, what do you got today? Reed, I know before you and I have recommended applications and we recommended mobile apps and programs online. I am going to recommend a widget today, a widget for your phone called Locket. So I don't know if you've heard about this. Locket is a widget that is basically you you got to download from the app store. But what it does is it creates a a, like a kind of a larger icon on your screen and you connect with friends and family and you can use it to take photographs and share photographs very quickly. It's kind of similar to that other uh, social media app that you recommended a while ago, you know, where you just take a candid photo about what's going on. But in this particular case, it's really designed to kind of share what's going on between family members or, you know, or close friends or what have you. We downloaded it within our family and we're using it to kind of share between one another, you know, just little things about what's happening throughout the day. It's a great way for us to share photos of our little guy with the grandparents. But, you know, if we're playing, you know, whatever we're doing, like at work or what have you, uh, we use it. It's a free app. It's available not only on the Android devices. You can get it on, on Google devices as well. When you download it, you have to connect with people. And this is where I would recommend you only have your very close friends. It's a private social networking platform, so to speak. I use it a lot, and it's it's a lot of fun, right? And we, we and, and then whenever you pick up your phone, you just look. There's the latest photo right there. Instead of the app it, uh, icon, it's the photo. And it's really cool. So try it out. It's free. No big deal. That's my recommendation. Very cool. All right, Chris, I'm going to actually recommend a a TV show. It's actually a streaming series. Um, I assume people watch actual television other than sporting events. But but in any case, it's on Netflix, and it's a Netflix series, uh, The Lincoln Lawyer. Mm. Probably have recommended this before, uh, but season two just came out. I'm going to kind of bring it back up again. Of course, the, t- the movie uh, with Matthew McConaughey was great uh, and really cool back in the day. And then they came out with The Lincoln Lawyer, kind of along the lines of some of the other shows that we've seen from some of these authors like Grisham and uh, Michael Connelly, etc. But yeah, The Lincoln Lawyer. So it's, it's good. It's it's um, I'm actually rewatching season one before I get into season two, but a great... Um, kind of episodic uh, streaming streaming show. Yeah, it's a great show. And for some reason, Reed, I don't know why, maybe because it's you recommended it before, the lead character reminds me of you. Like in another world, oh, you would okay. be the Lincoln lawyer. So I do like the idea of having a Lincoln and being driven around. But <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could do the law-related portion of it. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, no, it's it's good. It's fun. I enjoy those shows like Bosch and Better Call Saul and you know, those types of things. And so this kind of fits in that world a little bit for me. So anyway, yeah, The Lincoln Lawyer. All right, folks. Well, thanks again. Uh, another great show in the books. And uh, certainly appreciate all of your uh, support. Reach out. 
LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. Let us know what you think. If there's somebody we should talk to, a topic we should cover, etc. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.